Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you know what a Christian is? Do you know how to become a Christian? Let's open our Bible now and look at this most important question in the life of every single person. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully all y'all are doing well and just loving on Jesus and spending time with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Nothing better in our lives than just spending out, spending time with Jesus, growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to know his love. Just having fellowship with Jesus and uh, intimacy with Jesus is the is really the meaning of life, not only this life, but the next. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to do something we've never done before. Um, at Kingdom Discipleship, we, um, we feel led to do um, what's called expository teaching and preaching, which is that we just teach the scriptures verse by verse. And as you've seen in all the previous videos and all the podcasts, is we'll just select uh, a piece of scripture or a parable, um, or we'll go through a chapter in a book, um, and we'll just teach it verse by verse by verse by verse. Um, but today we're going to do something different. We're going to do a, a topical teaching, and um, some of you have asked about this in the past. Um, some have requested it, uh, you know, uh, fervently, right, Scott? Um, but um, uh, my soon-to-be son-in-law, Nathan, had uh, in watching these these YouTube videos had had actually made this request and and uh, in, uh, in hindsight the Holy Spirit was moving him and so today we're going to do a topical teaching on what is a Christian it's going to be our first topical teaching so instead of uh, instead of just taking a, a group of scriptures like John chapter two Jesus changes water to wine in teaching um, verses one to eleven. Um, verse by verse by verse, which is what we would normally do, it's going to be topical today. So the topic is, what is a Christian? And I am going to still only use the Bible, okay? But I'm going to start um, in John chapter 3, and I'm going to do verses 16, 17, and 18. And then I'm going to jump over to a different book of the Bible. I'm going to jump to Romans 3.23, then Romans 6.23, um, then we'll go to like Revelation uh, 3.20, and from there, John 14.6, and from there we'll go to, um, where is it? From there we will go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then we'll end up in John 3, um, verse 3 and 4, and we will um, contrast that to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, I believe it's verse 17. So that's the plan I have. And so we're going to walk through today on what a Christian is. That's going to be our topic. So again, it's a topical teaching um, on just simply what is a Christian? How do you become a Christian? And what are the ramifications of being a Christian? Um, ramifications meaning what what is the result? What happens when you become a Christian? So that's where we're going to go. So uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Again, this is uh, the first time we've we've done something like this. And so uh, 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hopefully it, uh, it works and uh, it's able to, to provide some insights that, uh, that you may not have had before. So we're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll get rolling. Well, Father, we do love you. We bless you. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the incredible living word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of having your word, studying your word, Lord, and the incredible privilege to, to share your word and teach your word. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you and we thank you above all things. You are the living word of God, our master, our king, our savior. Jesus, we thank you for living a perfect life for us and dying a perfect death for us. We thank you that you're alive and risen. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for being our guide, our comforter, our counselor. We ask you to lead us now, Holy Spirit, as we open the scriptures. Give us eyes that see you and ears that hear you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, what is a Christian is our topic today. So we're going to start in John chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 16, 17, and 18. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. We're going to read 16, 17, and 18. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, and 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So most of us remember the famous verse, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, this is the principal verse in the Bible. Now, again, we're going to go through other verses. Um, but when we're talking about what is a Christian, okay? A Christian is someone, in the simplest terms, who is believing, trusting, and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, okay? They are actively, today, currently understanding that they are sinful and we're going to get into those scriptures uh, a christian understands that that they have sinned okay if you want to turn to romans 3 23 it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god so the bible is clear that all human beings are sinful we all were born with the nature of sin, a sinful nature. And because we actually are born with a nature of sin, we actually have a lifestyle of sinning because it is our very nature to do that. And again, when we go through the different scriptures, we're going we're gonna to get into John 3. You'll see in John 3, uh, verse 3 and 4, Jesus is speaking to a, a much older man, um, a godly man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is probably 30, 35 years older than Jesus, over double his age. 
um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus humbly. He's one of the highest rulers in all the land, right? He is in the line of, of uh, the most, most powerful priests in, in Israel. He spent his life trying to know God, and he goes to Jesus humbly. He goes to him at night, and he says, we don't understand what's going on, but no one could do what you're doing, Jesus, without, you know, without them coming from God. Um, and in verse 3, Jesus says this, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so this term born again is, is one of the results of becoming a Christian. Okay, when you put your full faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, okay, and you do that again by trusting in Jesus, right? You do that by putting your full confidence in Jesus. Now, we do we do call out to him, Romans 10, 13. Again, you can turn to your Bible. All these scriptures will come up on your screen. If you're on YouTube, um, if you're on the podcast, you can turn to your Bible. And in Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. And what that means is that if you understand today and you agree with the Bible, God has given his word. Again, the scripture, Romans 3, 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every human being has lived a sinful lifestyle, thought sinful thoughts, spoken sinful words, and done sinful things. And because of that, we all fall short of the standard, the holy standard of God. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. Okay? Our sin has put a barrier between the triune God and us. And in the middle of that is our sin, right? So that sin is a barrier keeping us from relationship with the triune God. When I say triune God, um, the God of the Bible is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all God. They are they are all individual entities, right? But they are all God. They're all all-knowing. They're all all-powerful. And they're all omnipresent. They're all everywhere. And so the scriptures teach that because we are sinful as human beings, every one of us without exception, we have fallen short of the standard of God and we are separated from him. Again, um, the barrier of sin keeps us from having fellowship with God, from being forgiven of our sin, from going to heaven when we die. The scriptures teach that we cannot be in the presence of a holy God, of an absolutely sinless God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we're sinful. So because of this sin problem, Jesus Christ enters the world. So God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, because of humanity's sin problem, of his own will, God the Son, Jesus, enters the world on behalf of sinful humanity. Now think about this. The very world 
that he created. God the Son, the triune God, created the universe. Okay? They created the world. They created human beings. The very world that Jesus created and the very humanity he created. So Jesus enters into the world he created to die and give his life on behalf of humanity, which he created. Now, when the triune God created humanity, um, humanity was sinful. Adam and Eve were our first parents, and they represent us. So you remember the story right back in Genesis chapter 3 where, where, where God gives Adam instructions where he can eat of any of the, the fruit in the garden, but he cannot eat of the fruit of the knowledge and good and evil. Adam disobeys the Lord. And when he does that, in that disobedience, he became a sinner. He became a, a sinful man. And he did that in response to his wife, Eve. The, the, the devil came to Eve. He deceived her. Um, he played to her vanity. And when the devil tempted Eve, she took of the fruit that she was forbidden. And she knew she was forbidden to eat. She ate it. And then the first thing she does when she disobeys God is she gives some to her husband and leads him into sin. Um, he's fully accountable for it. He can't blame his wife. As a matter of fact, it's a funny story. If you go read it in Genesis 3, he tries to blame his wife. And frankly, as men, we've been trying to do that for a long time, right? But it's it's not my wife's fault. It's mine. Um, God makes it clear to Adam that he cannot blame his wife and that he's responsible for his sin and his disobedience. What we learn in that is that we can't blame anyone for our sin. When we disobey the Lord, and that's called sin when we're disobedient, we can't blame anyone. We can't say someone told us to do it as Adam you know, tried to do. Uh, that dog won't hunt. That doesn't work. It's not biblical. The Lord will not receive it. We're accountable for our sin, and the scripture makes that clear. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually, okay? They were created by God. As you remember, God creates Adam, and then God creates Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. And he creates them living beings, and he creates them spiritual beings. Adam and Eve were born. They were never born. They were created not only naturally alive, but spiritually alive. And, and all of these will come together here as we, as we go through all these scriptures, what we're talking about. So Adam and Eve were created not only naturally alive, but spiritually alive, okay? Um, they were in community with God in spirit, but when they sinned, they both immediately died spiritually. Their spirits were dead to God. And the Bible teaches that when they had children, remember these are the first two human beings in existence, when they had children, they passed that sinfulness, that nature to sin and do wrong into their children and their children into their children and their children into their children and so on and so forth, all the way down so that all humanity is polluted, comes into the world conceived in sin. So the Bible teaches that every human being that enters the world, that comes out of the womb, comes out of the womb with the nature of sin, a nature of disobedience. 
I've told the story of my twin daughters, Kristen and Lauren, when they were one year old. They're twins when they were one year old. And obviously a one year old doesn't, you know, doesn't have any accountability. A one year old is not reasoning. But yet you could see the sinful nature in children. And I tell the story of my two daughters at one year old, uh, may have been for their birthday, I'm not sure, but they're around one year old, one year old. Um, I had bought them the same exact toy. I often bought them the same things as twins. And they were playing with the toy. And all of a sudden, my daughter Lauren is not satisfied with playing with her toy. She has to crawl over to her, you know, and she's walking a little bit now too, go over to Kristen and she takes Kristen's toy from her. Even though she has the exact same toy and she then, you know, waddles back or crawls back. So now she has two of the same toy and Kristen has none. Why would she do that? I never taught her that. Their mother, who did an amazing job, never taught them that. We never said, be disobedient to daddy and mommy. Never. You could see that nature, right? We could see it in children. You've often heard it said that children are innocent. Children are beautiful. The Bible says no. Children are sinful. Children want their own way. If you leave a child to itself, it won't grow up to be a wonderful human being. It'll grow up to be a terribly selfish human being. Because the Bible says all of us, when we enter the world, have this nature of sin. Why was my daughter not satisfied with playing with her toy when it was the exact same toy that her sister had and she was playing with? Why did she want both and her sister to have none? There's no rational explanation for that. That's wrong. It's selfish. It's sinful, right? Now, many will say, well, she doesn't know any better. She's one year old. That's true. She doesn't know any better, but that was her very nature, right? She had a nature to want both toys and for her sister to have none. And of course, I'm not picking on Lauren. Kristen had done very selfish things too. We all have. That's the point. We all have this nature in us, this sinful nature that we receive from our parents and them from their parents and them from their parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We come into this world with a nature to want our own way. The Bible calls it a sinful nature. It's in rebellion to the triune God, and it's a barrier keeping us from relationship with the triune God and keeping us from ultimately going to heaven. So naturally I go over, and to correct the situation, I take the second toy that Lauren had, the Kristen's toy, and I give it back to Kristen. And of course, now Lauren is crying because she wants both toys and her sister to have none. So we see the, and, and obviously all of us can relate to this, right? All of us know this story, and every rational human being knows this is true, right? You can see the reality of the Bible in children. Many people want to downplay it. They want to say, well, that's just human nature. Okay, the Bible calls human nature sin, okay? The Bible calls human nature the desire to want your own, to have more for you, to look after ourselves, to be selfish. Uh, it calls it sin, and we have a nature to sin, and because we have a nature to sin, 
we do sin. Now, because we have this sinful nature, we enter the world, every human being that enters the world, enters the world naturally alive. We come out of the womb, we're obviously physically alive when we come from our mother's womb, but we're spiritually dead. We're dead because we're conceived with a sinful nature, and that sinful nature causes us to enter the world naturally and physically alive, but spiritually dead. Our spirit is dead to God. So so when we're in chapter 3, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's John chapter 3, verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now we're going to look at verse 4 because Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is saying, and no, nor would we. Nicodemus can only fathom the physical. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual rebirth, okay? And this is a consequence. This is a result of when you become a Christian, you have a spiritual rebirth, right? Nathan, you become spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. Look at Nicodemus says to Jesus when he says you have to be born again. How can a man be born when he is old? This is John 3 verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. So Jesus doesn't, uh, Nicodemus does not understand by any means what Jesus is saying. Uh, the only birth he can conceive is a natural birth. Jesus is going to go on to say, and you can read it in uh, verses 5 all the way to 8. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born, and so on and so forth. He's going to say, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. And so when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of you and joins himself. Now look at this. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune God, when you call on Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, when you become a Christian, okay, when you call out to Jesus and say Romans 10, 13, when you know your need of him and in desperation, knowing Jesus is your only hope, and you say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came into the world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I call on you now and I ask you to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith all my trust, all my confidence in you alone, Lord Jesus, to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian, okay? To believe in Jesus does not mean to give intellectual assent or to acknowledge that Jesus Christ existed, okay? A Christian is someone who's trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, knowing and believing the word of God that there is no hope without Jesus. I'm jumping around here. Please forgive me. When you do that, 
the spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. Okay. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity comes and joins himself to your dead spirit. And when the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes one with your spirit, Sherry, boom, an explosion of life happens and you are born again spiritually. You become spiritually alive, right? You're already naturally alive, but now your spirit becomes alive and you are one in spirit. You are one with the Holy Spirit and you are married to Jesus. You've heard the expression, the bride of Christ, right? You become part of the body of Christ. All of these are consequences or the result of becoming a Christian, right? You're one with Jesus. You're married to Jesus. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're part of this big spiritual body called the body of Christ, okay? So when Jesus says in John 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again, he's talking about a spiritual rebirth that happens at the moment you receive Jesus Christ into your heart genuinely calling on him, genuinely relying on him as your only Lord and Savior. Now, the reason I say genuinely is it's not the words. It's not just us puppeting words and asking Jesus to come into our heart. Words are the vehicle we use to call on the Lord, obviously. When we pray to Jesus, we use words. The, the importance is that you genuinely mean them and you know your need of it, meaning you know that as a sinful person, you're convicted that the Bible says that you are a sinful person and that you're hopeless and that you have no hope save Jesus Christ, our Lord. And out of that desperation, you run to Jesus and, 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 and call on him and ask him to be the Lord of your life the way that we just did. And so it's really having a heart and an understanding and in a belief in the word of God understanding why it is that Jesus actually came into the world and lived a perfect life for you and me and died a perfect death for you and me because we desperately needed him. Does that make sense? Every human being needs Jesus. So one of the consequences, one of the many consequences of when you become a Christian is you become what's called born again. You become spiritually alive. You become a new spiritual creation. Okay, if you turn over to Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, and you look at, I believe it's verse seventeen. We're going to read it here. It says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone." the new has come. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you genuinely run to Christ and call on him, it says you become a new creation. Again, he's not talking about a physical new creation. He's talking that you become a new creation spiritually. You cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now, as you're alive spiritually, you have relationship with the triune God because God is spirit. Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
are spiritual beings. God is a spirit, right? Now, the son did take on a body for us, right? But you have relationship with God spiritually. And now being a spiritually alive human being with Jesus Christ living in you, you're one with Jesus, and now you have relationship with Jesus. The consequence of that now is having being spiritually alive, putting your faith in Christ, having been born again spiritually, Jesus living in you and being one with you, you being his bride, you're the bride of Christ, you being part of this big spiritually alive body called the body of Christ. Now, the consequence of that is that God the Father now becomes your heavenly Father. If you're not in Jesus Christ today, then God is your judge, unfortunately. But if you put your faith in Christ, and if you will today, and again, go back to where, rewind the tape, and I gave, gave you an example of how to receive Jesus Christ. And I'll say again, what's most important is that you genuinely mean it, knowing your need of him, believing the scriptures that you're desperately hopeless. I am desperately hopeless without Jesus. But when we do that, God the Father becomes our heavenly Father, Krista. It's incredible. The God of the universe, God the Father, actually becomes our heavenly Father. and We become his child. You become a son or daughter of God Almighty. That's pretty exciting, right? Jesus Christ, God the Son, becomes your Lord, your Master, your King, your friend, right? You, you, you have relationship with Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, becomes your guide, your comforter, your counselor. So, you, so another consequence of becoming a Christian is you come into relationship and you now have the opportunity to cultivate relationships with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay, Jesus entered the world not just to, to tell everybody they're sinners. That's true. Everybody's sinners. But Jesus came not to condemn you or me, but to say, hey, I'm coming. I'm going to give my life on your behalf. When Jesus Christ entered the world, he came into the world, full-blown God took on a human form and entered the world because every human being desperately needed him. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you rely on Jesus Christ, when you call and are trusting in Jesus Christ as your only Savior, and you call on the name of the Lord, as we talked about, the Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, that he never sinned, ever. Okay? Um, At the end of his life, Jesus Christ died on the cross as the one and only sinless man. My, my big brother, Jason Ross, wrote a really good book called The Sinless Man. The only sinless human being in history was the God-man, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And 
at the end of his life, Jesus had lived a perfect, sinless life. But then he gave that life as a sacrifice on behalf of all humanity so that we would not be condemned and perish in our sin. Remember John 3.16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Okay, so if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ today, if you haven't trusted in him, if you're not currently relying on him, all of us who are not stand condemned in our sin. But if you will give your life to Jesus Christ today, if you'll become a Christian today, okay? And a Christian, again, is someone who's actively and currently trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lives inside of them. When you do that, at the moment you give your life to Jesus, all of your sin that you've accumulated and all of your future sin, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus Christ at the cross and the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived, is credited to you. Think about that. That exchange, the exchange of my sinful, disobedient life for the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ, that exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. It's, it's the most incredible incredible thing ever imagined that God would become a human man, live a perfect life on my behalf, die a perfect death on my behalf, be raised from the dead. And then if I would trust in him and rely on him and call on him in a genuine heart to be my only Lord and savior, that he would credit me with his perfect life. And he would take from me my sinful, disobedient, selfish life. It's the most incredible thing. C.S. Lewis said it would never, ever, ever have been made up in the mind of man. Every other religion beside biblical Christianity has this kind of idea of a scale, right? Where they're trying to do a lot of good and they hope that when they stand before God, <clears throat> God is going to put their good on one side of the scale, their bad or their sin on the other, and they hope the good outweighs the bad. The Bible is, is clear that no one can get to heaven based on anything they do. Good works cannot save us. Okay, If you, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and you look at verses 8 and 9. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay? Says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Nothing we do saves us. The only way to be saved from our sin is to humble ourselves to acknowledge that we are host hopeless and desperate, none of our good deeds will take away our sin. Good doesn't take away bad. I've often said, if we kill somebody or murder somebody in the state of Texas, 
Okay. And the judge, and we get arrested and stand before a judge. I can't tell the judge all the good I did. No matter how much good I did, the judge would say, you have to pay the penalty for the murder. And in Texas, that would either be spending life in prison or be executed. If you just, if you blow through a red light, right, and the policeman pulls you over, can you say to the officer, but officer, I didn't, I didn't run the last 200. I stopped at the last 200 red lights. What's he going to say? He's going to say, it doesn't matter. All the good you did in stopping and obeying the other 200 red lights would not take away this violation and you'd have to pay your debt to society and pay that ticket because good doesn't take away bad. It's the same in dealing with God. All of our good works will never, ever take away our sin. We are hopeless and desperate, and we need a Savior, right? That's what the scriptures teach. If you turn to Romans 6, verse 23, just go back a few few books, Romans 6, verse 23. 623 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, We're born with a sinful nature, and because of that, we've sinned. And because of that, because of our sin, we have earned spiritual death and eternity in hell. That's what our sinfulness deserves. The wages of sin is not only spiritual death, but when we die naturally, we're separated from God in eternal death in hell. That's the wages. That's what we've earned by our sinfulness. Again, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. All of our sinfulness has earned us what we've earned from our sin. Our wages from our sin is spiritual death, ultimately natural death, and separated from the triune God for all eternity in eternal death in hell. Well, look what it says. But the gift of God, the gift of God, you see the wages of sin is death. We earn our sinful death in separation from God. But the gift of God, salvation is a gift, but the gift of God is eternal life. We earn spiritual death and separation from God, but when we receive Jesus Christ as a gift, a gift you cannot earn it, it's a gift, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your only Savior and Master and King, and you put your trust in Him alone, it's a gift from the triune God that you have eternal life, right? You'll spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you turn to John 14, verse 6, okay? And I have my iPad here, but I'm, I'm getting excited back using, a, I don't use a physical Bible that much, and man, I like it. I just love this thing. So, in John 14, verse 6, okay? One of the most famous verses in the Bible, okay? A Christian, again, is someone who's trusting in Jesus Christ, relying on him alone for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul. And they know there's no other way, okay? There is literally no other way to be saved from your sin, to have relationship with the triune God and go to heaven when you die. There is literally no other way. 
John chapter 14, verse 6. This is Jesus speaking. In your Bible, the words are in red. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to read that again. These are Jesus's words, okay? Jesus enters the world, Corinne, as a man. These are his words, August, okay? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can go to heaven. No one can go to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. And these are his words, okay? So, when we want to believe there are many roads to heaven, we are contrary to the very words of Jesus. Jesus said, there are not only many roads, there is only one road, and that has to come through your genuine belief, trust, reliance, and faith in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of your sins. Right, Pop? Hmm. Have you given your life to Jesus today? Are you a Christian today? Are you, have you genuinely acknowledged to your heavenly father, to God, that you are a sinner and that you need a savior and that you're hopeless and that you believe the Bible, the word of God, that Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life for you and died a perfect death for you. And if you would Put your faith and trust and confidence in him and call out to him and ask him to be the Lord of your life, knowing your desperate need of him. You will be saved. And it's the only way to be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. A Christian is someone who is saved from their sin. Their sins have been forgiven. They've been forgiven because Jesus Christ paid the price at the cross. He opened his arms and he took spikes in each hand. You nailed the left hand and I nailed the right hand and together we nailed the spikes into his feet. He did that because we needed it. He died in our place. Jesus died in our place, Lauren. He died on our behalf, right? Jesus died in our place. He suffered in our place. He took the death we should have died. He took the punishment we should have had. Remember uh, Lauren, my sweet daughter Lauren, who's always had the most beautiful spirit. When, when she was little, you know, up to the time, I, you know, she might have been nine years old, but I, I, I told her the story. I said, there was a time in heaven, Lauren, when, uh, when God the Father came to Jesus and said, I, I'm going to have to judge my little Lauren. And I'm going to have to punish my little Lauren, and I'm going to have to send my little Lauren to hell. And Jesus stood up, and he stood in between the wrath of God the Father and Lauren. Jesus got in the middle of that wrath, and Jesus looked at the Heavenly Father and said, Lauren, he looked at the Heavenly Father and said, Father, don't judge my little Lauren. You judge me in her place. And don't punish my little Lauren. The Father punished me in her place. And don't send my little Lauren to hell. Send me in her place. And I remember Lauren would say, Daddy, you're making me cry, right? Because that's what Jesus did for each of us. Now, the difference is 
Jesus did do all those things. He died in our place, was punished in our place, went to hell in our place. But the difference is we would have been stuck in hell for eternity. Jesus conquered hell. Yeah. Jesus overcame hell. Hell couldn't hold him. He defeated not only sin, he defeated the devil, he defeated hell. And if you'll give your life to him today, you too will be saved. He is the only way. Turn to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 3, verse 20. And we are going to, we're going to close here. Revelation 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea, one of the churches. And he's saying this to everyone in the world today. Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today. Do you hear him? Jesus is knocking on the door and he's patient. Second Peter 3 9 says it's his will that no one perish. But unfortunately, many will perish. Are you a Christian today? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ today? Have you opened the door of your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged to him that you're sinful, that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong? Have you acknowledged to Jesus there's nothing you can do to save yourself from your sin and that you're desperate and hopeless? And have you called on him and genuinely, as genuine as you can, asked him to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin and bring you to heaven when you die? If you'll do that today, you'll call on the name of Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and put your trust and confidence in him alone, you will become a Christian today. God the Father will become your heavenly father. You'll become his son or daughter, his child. Jesus Christ will become your Lord, your savior, your master, your king, your husband. The Holy Spirit will become your guide, your counselor, your comforter. You'll become alive spiritually. You'll become a spiritually alive being. You'll become one with Jesus Christ in spirit. You'll be married to Jesus in spirit. Everywhere you go, Jesus will go. You'll be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And when you leave this life, you'll be welcomed into heaven, not because of anything you have done, but because of your complete trust and reliance and confidence in what Jesus has done on your behalf and on my behalf, and on behalf of the whole world. Are you a Christian today? Give your life to Jesus today, that you might become a Christian, that you might know him. Lord Jesus, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect death for us. We thank you that you are alive and risen, and we proclaim you, Lord Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. You are our master and our king and our savior. You are our only hope, Jesus. All of our hope, all of our trust, all of our life is in you alone, Jesus. 
our God and our King and our Savior and our Master. We worship you, Jesus, and we thank you. Father, I pray you would draw all people to Jesus Christ, our Lord, that everyone would be saved of their sin and come to know you as their Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your mercy. Lead us and guide us now that we might know Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.